30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Imagine, if you will, attending a music festival with some friends. One group wants to see an obscure act at a side stage, while another is hungry and needs to find food. But everybody wants to regroup for the big headliner. Trying to meet back up, however, can quickly become a logistical nightmare. You get a text from a friend, we're near the white tent at the far back. And then you reply, wait, the big white tent or the small white tent? Everybody struggles to find each other in this vast and confounding crowd. Thankfully, the company What Three Words has devised a novel solution to this dilemma. What Three Words divided the entire surface of planet Earth into a grid of 57 trillion 10-foot by 10-foot squares, then gave each square a three-word address. Instead of unhelpful directions or drop pins, What Three Words lets you simply say, banana, snow, dolphin, and your friends will know exactly where you are. But while the surface of the Earth is rather large, in fact, it's as big as 57 trillion 10-foot by 10-foot squares, it's nothing compared to the size of the abstract space of potential meaning. To chart coordinates within this space, we use words, but often require far more than three. Small blue house does convey some meaning, but we would need many more words to convey the precise meaning of the small blue house where I lived when I was 14 and my parents got divorced and how I felt as a young adolescent at that time. In fact, charting that meaning could require an entire novel worth of words. In this sense, all human languages are coordinate systems. We use words to direct each other to locations within this abstracted space of meaning. We describe past events, futuristic ideas, inner experiences, and logical arguments using constellations of words. And recently, the ways we humans map such abstract realms of meaning experienced a seismic shift as we developed large language models, such as ChatGPT. Last week, I personally experienced three significant shifts. First, I moved in space to attend the Magical Art 23 retreat in Sweden. But also, I moved forward in time, reaching the moment previously predicted in the other episodes of this Swedish series where I discussed attending this retreat as a future event to be in the moment in time where this podcast interview was recorded during the actual retreat, as well as the moment I'm in now where the retreat has already concluded. But while these shifts in space and time were important for me, human beings move through space and time constantly. So the biggest change I experienced was reaching a new place within this abstracted space of meaning. And by that, I mean 
I learned a really cool new idea. Now, how I got to this new place, aka this really cool idea, was through a series of words shared by Karin Vallis, a machine learning engineer and occultist based in Berlin. During the retreat, Karin gave a talk based on an essay she'd recently published on her Substack, Mercurial Minutes, titled Divine Embeddings. I'll link to the essay in the show notes, and Karin herself will explain some of these ideas later in the episode. But the concept of how languages create multidimensional shapes within this abstracted space of meaning, to put it bluntly, blew my fucking mind. While the old Arthur C. Clarke quote about sufficiently advanced technology being indistinguishable from magic gets thrown around often, it's rare to actually find a magical practitioner truly engaged with advanced technology. Yet, this is the privileged position Kareen finds herself in, working at the bleeding edge of AI while also considering what ancient esotericism, from Hermetic Kabbalah to Vedic mythology, can tell us about these frightening new machines. So, at this multidimensional intersection of space, time, meaning, magic, and technology, we find the conversation you're about to hear as Kareem gives us a valuable lesson in how to make magic with machines. Hello, Kareem. Hi, Devon. Welcome to the ritual space that actually is. <laughs> So nice to be here. Now, I say that because we're not in the ritual space that could have been, because originally we thought we were going to talk online in advance of this retreat, but that didn't happen because someone got COVID. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's apparently still a thing, but I always like these detours and think they're very valuable because that's a different conversation that we're not having. And instead, you and I are here in physical space in this lovely rural rustic retreat in Sweden to talk about machines and computers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think it's really nice sort of contrast we created because I'm sure the conversation would be very different when we were, you know, plugged in. On uh, a Zoom, yeah, yeah, looking at a screen and instead we are face-to-face in the quote-unquote real world. Yeah, we're we're, we're literally looking out of a a screen, but not really a screen, a window (laughs) at a pond. I can see lily pads right now. This is... They're rendered pretty well. They're rendered very well. High def, yeah. 4K resolution on this this reality of ours. So what's our magic word going to be? So um, if it was happening online, it would most likely be, you know, stuff like curiosity, mercury, or language or something like that. But because we're here and I haven't felt this way in a very long time, I decided to choose a word, relax. Ooh, okay. (laughs) So on the count of three, one, two, three. Relax. Relax. Soft jazz in the background. Oh, yeah, we got a little (laughs) bit of Frankie Goes the Hollywood going on. This is good. So instead of talking about curiosity, mercury, and all the technological things, I want to pick up on what you just said. You haven't felt this way in a while. What does it mean for you to be able to relax right now? Yeah, so um, I basically unplugged from this sort of really fast-moving AI world, which mm. I'm, I'm, I'm normally in. And, 
you know, I sort of am more offline than normally. Right. Don't carry the phone everywhere around here because it's just so lovely. Yeah. And I, f I, I found myself sort of be almost completely like blank minded. And mm. it's such a, such a pleasant feeling, yeah. not, not having to think about things all the time and having to do things all the time. I can almost physically feel like, you know, something's brewing inside mm. of me because I've been just like manically ingesting ideas and scrolling Twitter for all the updates, which are just like rolling out every day with sure. like AI and technology. And, and now it's just brewing somewhere there, yeah. all these sort of connections. And, and I'm just like, I'm just letting it happen and yeah. enjoying, you know, this place here. Well, I think there's a universal feeling of everyone. I talk to people often and hear them say, feels like the world's moving faster and faster. Mm. But I think you're kind of uniquely situated in a very fast part of a rapidly changing world. Mm. And, you know, we're getting up this acceleration curve. And I think even your layperson has gotten a glimpse of this. I was talking with a friend recently about the pace that these image generators, these AI image generators have changed. And so I said, you know what? It was only about a year ago that that first wave of Dolly images came out and like all the memes, you know, like <laughs> yes, the yes. Demogorgon from Stranger Things holding a basketball. So <laughs> I went and I took a bunch of those phrases from those memes mm -hmm. and then plugged them into Midjourney to see what, you know, the results yeah. would be. And, you know, sometimes the, the original Dolly ones were funnier or more kind of accurate, but it was yeah. amazing to see just the fidelity had changed. Yeah. <sighs> But for you being in the field, do you feel like there's kind of a constant pressure to be reading papers and keeping up because everything is changing? You know, what's true on Monday might not be true on Friday. Yeah, I think it's completely insane. Yeah. It's like half of your working time, you just spend sort of trying to catch up on what happened while you were asleep. Wow. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really strange because it sort of broke everything in the industry in mm. some way. Because, you know, the normal procedure of like rolling out new technologies, new features in products or everything like, you know, whatever you start implementing, it's going to be obsolete by the end of the week. Right. So if you really try to keep on on the highest like wave of, of the novelty. Your scrum workflow is is falling apart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even the most like agile ways yeah. are, are, are gone. And yeah, I think we're sort of hitting a point where the novelty is just not going to be enough. Yeah. You know, like, I think this is where it ties to to occultism and esotericism in some way that, like, you know, you start having to go for the content mm. of just, like, actually finding a meaningful ways how to use it rather than have just something you do because it's new. Right. Of, so of, of trying to find the thing that you care about and can do with it rather than just what's the highest resolution, latest version. Yeah, exactly. Something which is not going to lose its meaning when by the end of the week, there's going to be something looking a bit more polished. Right. You know, Which I think is a very human question because at least in the modern era, we're obsessed with youth culture. And so what's cool mm. is generally set by people kind of, you know, 20 to 35, the, the tastemakers in that range. And some people can try and hang on to that and continue to try and be cool longer, but we're all going to age on a human curve. And eventually, you know, we'll mm. be in our 80s and the things that we liked <laughs> aren't in vogue anymore. And the things yeah. that are popular are scary <laughs> and intense. Yeah. Yeah. And as things get faster, I wonder how we can kind of switch to what you're talking on saying, 
wait, what do I want to do with this? Mm. Rather, you know, like I want to go to the bar with my friends where we can hear each other talk and have a fun time. I don't care about being at the hottest nightclub in town. That's a metric that doesn't (laughs) matter to me. Yeah, exactly. So how are you finding that with, um, I guess, both your creative pursuits and um, your work pursuits of trying Mm. to do meaningful work with this tool and not just stay at that razor edge? Yeah, so I find it sort of like feeds into each other because as you see the new technologies, you can sort of guess the trajectories of mm. where it is going and you know what's 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 gonna happen next, what are what are the first steps. But at the same time, you sort of look into the basic principles in, in more depth and you know you reveal bigger and bigger parts of the puzzle of whatever your creative endeavor might be. Yeah. And um, yeah, I find that being like the core of it to sort of try and understand where these technologies come from mm-hmm. and how can how can you sort of analyze them in some in some different ways. Yeah. Like for example, looking at the you know mathematical principles which are happening in the AI, which in the past the AI papers were were pretty well mathematically explained. Mm-hmm. Like you could probably not imagine it in your mind because the mathematics is quite complex, but like you saw the equations and sure. you kn- you knew why it worked in a certain way. But recently, basically, some of the papers are published without much mathematics in it. And it, the argument is like, it just works, yeah. you know? So I think that the original way of looking at these technologies, which is sort of like very mathematical and very analytical, like that might be might be over because it's getting it's getting a bit too complex even for even for the old sort of analytical tools yeah. so that's why creating all these analogies with because like occult systems mm-hmm. they are they are here to explain things which we don't understand exactly. and which we can't grasp magic operates at that bleeding edge of knowledge where okay if we do this weird thing it works some of the time, <laughs> it's not as reliable as, you know, I throw the rock, it hits where I threw it, but we don't know what the mechanism is. Like, we, you know, Newton figured out why my catapult's going to shoot the rock at that exact spot. Yeah. But if we're talking about sigil magic, it's not as accurate as that catapult's going to be. And we don't really know the mechanisms that it's working. We have yeah. competing theories and paradigms, but there's not, ah, uh, of course, everyone knows there's the subcontextual information system that human consciousness taps into, blah, 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 blah. Like, sure, you can write a paper on that, but it's going to be a lot more conjecture than, yeah, exactly. than hard science. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like with the what you're talking about, like there's kind of a weird race right now where there's the people who are trying to do stuff with AI and they're mm-hmm. at the forefront then there's people who are trying to catch up that are trying to say, wait, how is this even happening? We need to understand it. And I feel like almost lagging behind with their legs tied together are the people that are like, we need to have safeguards in place so we don't accidentally make a huge mistake. And how do we control something if we don't even know how it works? Yeah. Yeah, it felt like it's sort of just running wild at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's this self-propagating machinery entity on the you know frontier of capitalism just money pouring in and right. just like steering or not steering it mm-hmm. in in some wild direction fueled by human curiosity competitive urges and then capitalist speculation and exactly that's just the accelerant that's that's yeah. fueling this so with you having this position further up the curve than than I am what do you see coming 
down the pipeline that you're thinking is going to be, you know, exciting, transformative. Like when you look a little bit ahead, what what do you see that's going to be, you know, exploding the internet six months from now or exploding our world six years from now? So I really, really don't want to be again the AI doomer. <laughs> but we'll talk about positive stuff eventually. <laughs> yeah, but um, I I really hope that pretty soon we're gonna we're gonna get to a point where the society is gonna sort of ignore part of it or you know just like not being completely obsessed and driven by by these technologies as sort of the new savior of yeah. things but i think that a lot of excitement and the novelty and and things coming from this whole ai craze it's to a big extent the fact that people don't really understand it you mm-hmm. know all these papers all the code you see like it sounds amazing you yeah. see the examples it's it's crazy then you download the code you try to run it yeah. you 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 try your own experiments and it's like it's mediocre at best yeah. you know it works on a very specified sort of showcase scenarios and and the rest is sort of like the edges are are not not really polished so i really hope that people are that it's going to force people into creating some sort of social safeguards against this like addiction to novelty yeah and just like you know being completely obsessed with whatever is is thrown at you as a as a new idea because like I still think that everything is going to accelerate. Like, yes. <laughs> it, like we we are. It's it's not stopping. You know, yeah. it's 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 train which 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 is going like crazy. And I think that at one point, like we must get to a place where somebody will be just like enough. You know, just like mm. I'm. I'm not gonna do a personal fight of stopping this, but I'm gonna do a personal transformation of stopping it. In, like me. creating my own borders from it. And I know that this is like super complex problem with all the societal implications and mm-hmm. AI taking jobs and so on and so on. So it's like much broader than that. But there is this step, which I think on personal level, a lot of people living in this very privileged sort of mm-hmm. internet facing lives, jobs and so on will have to go through because, because otherwise it's going to, eat us in some sense. I think that's a very uh, astute observation and something that I share where what I think about more and more is there's a point where I'm curious about what's next that I want to go, but I'm also at a certain point going to want to get off the ride. You know, at a certain point in my life, I'm not going to want to do DMT vape pens at (laughs) the like, you know, hardcore noise rave with teenagers. Like... (laughs) I mean, like, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but, like, there will be a point where I'm like, what the kids are doing isn't for me. No, thank you. And I think there's a point with technology that we're going to have to look and say, do we want to stay at that edge? Or, Mm. you know, new technology creates new problems, but we have so many solutions to old problems. Mm. If we scale back our ambitions a little bit, you know, I've I've heard one thing of one of the problems with... um, communism versus a free market system is that you're trying to figure out how to distribute goods. And if you Mm -hmm. let the free market do it, it's more efficient than if you're trying to have some corrupt bureaucracy and totalitarian Mm -hmm. system do it. But that there could be a point where AI is an efficient thing. And, you know, we could have a post-scarcity society where it's like, yeah, this isn't that hard of a problem. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is exactly the problem, right? Like the technology to to use AI for for good and for sort of you know, making our lives easier and nicer and make us 
do less tedious work and yeah. all of this like that's there right but is that really gonna happen that's that's the that's the real problem and the real question because you know the 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 trajectory you see right now where people are losing their jobs because in in call centers yeah. because they are being replaced by chatbots who yeah. who give really shit advice and you know then but to be fair to... a lot of those humans were giving really shit advice <laughs> <laughs> i've worked in customer support i've seen humans and they're just copying macros and i'm mm. just like it takes me 3 seconds to read the email and go oh dude that is not the question that they were asking like yeah. i think we often assume I see this comparison a lot where someone will say, ah, here's AI failing at this thing that the best human can do really well. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sometimes AI draws hands shittily. Mm. A really good artist draws hands well. I can't draw hands <laughs> to save my life, you know? Like, oh, is the chatbot going to fool everybody? Yeah. Well, I've talked to humans on chat that <laughs> I would have preferred a robot. So. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I think the question is, you know, why are we now obsessed with, oh, AI is going to replace all of these jobs and then everyone's going to be out of a job and that's a problem. Why isn't that awesome? I know, right? <laughs> I know. Great. <laughs> we've, we've automated services that people were doing for yeah. crap pay and very little life satisfaction. Yeah. Free those people to do very human things. Yeah, exactly. I see the same with with art, like AI art. You know, a lot of people are are completely terrified of sure. like AI taking over writing and and drawing and 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 so on. But the thing is, like the stuff which AI is good at is replacing the sort of the most tedious parts mm -hmm. of creative process. Yeah, like you know. Doing little changes in 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 textures and you know changing changing backgrounds, texturing in 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 Blender mm -hmm. and all of these sort of things, which are like they're nobody's favorite thing to right. do. You know, like you don't want to be correcting the color of a car in the background in Photoshop for I don't know twenty minutes when AI can do it in in ten seconds, and you can focus on the real creative part of of the concept design or of the of 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 the art process. And I think getting us back to magic, you know, I remember there's a thing in Crowley's Magic Theory and Practice where he's talking about if you ideally can get ore and then smith that into metal and then make the blade yourself and do every single step, then yeah, if you spend 12 months making a dagger, like it's going to be very meaningful to you. It's going to be very loaded and powerful. So I get a sculptor, yeah, like part of their art is being out there and chiseling the block for months on end to get yeah. that shape and that if you just 3D printed the same shape it wouldn't feel quite as meaningful but if you're some VFX artist for Marvel and you're coloring in you know little faces in the background yeah I don't think that's the height of creative satisfaction but there is a weirdness where you know my my brother was showing me cuz he's in school and was playing around with this you know just folders and folders of AI images he generated, mm -hmm. but they're kind of, it's like they're leaves, you know? They're, yeah, they're yeah, not as exactly. valuable as, oh man, I paid someone to make this one picture for me. It's so freaking cool. So you're like, oh, I got like 80 options. Yeah. I, I really think that, you know, the effort you put into something, especially into like magic work or mm -hmm. artwork, that's what gives it the magic charge, right? That's what gives it meaning. It sort of unwraps it in time, makes it, makes it exist more than just as a, you know, one prompt, one click and one folder somewhere on a desktop. Right. And so I think there's there's 
a couple of things I want to explore there. But first, just to give our audience uh, a background, you just gave this amazing presentation at this retreat we're attending, and you talked about word embeddings and the way that these language models make. Um, can you give like a quick summary of that mathematical meaning space um, concept? <laughs> um, all right. So I was basically um, dealing with this topic for quite some time. It all started um, on Translates two years ago, where I was giving a talk on translating Voynich manuscript, which sort of the, the language was never deciphered. And there were a lot of AI attempts to like crack the code. And, and there I noticed this interesting feature of, 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 the, of the AI space. And that's the way the language is encoded in for, for the language models like GPT or, or other models. And it's a way basically of arranging our meaning, mm -hmm. our, all our words into a space, mathematical multidimensional space where things which are related or close to each other are going to be close to each other in clusters in this mm -hmm. space. And it's a very interesting arrangement because um, this space has a lot of mathematical properties to it, which we normally, we maybe think of them, but never were made so explicit. Like, for example, you can, you can add meanings of two words, right? Mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got a word for woman and you can add a word for royal to it. And in this space, you will travel into a section where roughly there somewhere is a queen. Yeah. Um, and in similar way, you can sort of like add meanings of words, which I find very, very magical. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in, in the tradition of logos and creation of meaning through words, right? right? You've, got, you've got this space which basically encodes meanings mm -hmm. and you can pinpoint a point in the space and basically that meaning is there. You just need to label it. Yeah. And yeah, I find this very sort of very resonating with, with the magic thought. So what's coming to my mind is just thinking about like, let's say tarot cards, for example, and we're just going to imagine that we're doing three card spreads. Mm -hmm. So that's a fairly simple math problem. How many different three card combinations can we get out of that? Mm -hmm. um, and so without thinking about the human meanings that have, piled on, we'd have a set of coordinates where mm -hmm. you could say, okay, if I have a tower and a two of wands and a three of pentacles, mm -hmm. that is a point in space. And we could kind of map that out. And then the complexity comes when we talk about the human meanings that we actually associate. And then suddenly our map just explodes yeah. in this way. But what I understood you were talking about is that these language models in their own arcane way have come up with a way to map meaning on like 12,000 dimensions. Mm -hmm. And so they can figure out what are the connections between ice cream and duck and hospital and wizard and yeah. those. And that's kind of a meaningless combination of words that I gave. Mm -hmm. But how are you, even though that's just three words, is a more specific yeah. key. And they can kind of think about what are the shapes that connect with that. And it's not just... Obviously, there's one right answer. There's yeah. very complex amounts of answers, but that that gives us this theoretical spatial dimension of, or not a multi, very multi dimension <laughs> of of, yeah. of human meaning. Yeah. And you were saying that you can even think about different languages mm. transposing two of them on top of each other, so you can yeah. say, okay, cool, these coordinates here 
is this cluster of words in English, but it's this cluster of words in Mandarin. Am I getting it right? Is yes. That, okay. Yes. Yeah. So basically these word embeddings are built in a way that you feed it a huge corpus of data, mm -hmm. like the whole of the internet or something yeah. like that. And the only proposition it has is that the words with similar meanings are close to each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and this way, the algorithm, when it's training, it's trying to cluster and sort of move words to be, you know, in some sort of meaningful clusters to each right. other. And it's sort of like a big net of mm -hmm. words, which is like spreading in the most efficient mathematical way in, mm -hmm. in this space. And it does encode the, the nature of meaning somehow. And if you do this through different languages, like yeah. you would have English corpus and you would have Japanese corpus, um, the net which is created out of, out of these words will overlap. Yeah. It wouldn't be perfect because, you know, some words in, in English, in Japanese are not one-to-one -one translation, but you would be more or less able to never seen language before or mm. language which don't have two direct translations. You would be able to sort of translate based on that. Right. Which is interesting because like the hardware, which is running the language, which is the human mind is, is the same, right? right. It's just the, the meaning space, the mathematical space is the same. Yeah. It's just the dots, the labels are, are labeled differently, but the meanings are sort of there. Yeah. Now I'm going to get trippy here and let's, <laughs> let's, let's see if this, this works. But so, okay. Uh, basic problem of, of ontology is we have a subjective experience mm -hmm. and we theorize, depending on which ideology we're talking about, that there is some objective reality out there. You know, Kant's like, you know, reality in and of itself. That there's... One might argue with that. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. But let's, let's, let's theorize that there is some sort of reality space out mm -hmm. there. And then now we're kind of conjecturing that there is this meaning space on the other side. And it seems like language is this translation key between those two. That there are experiences that are had in this quote-unquote real space. Mm -hmm. And we are articulating them with language. And now we've created a map just based off, the, off of yeah. that language, but it's this kind of interface between these two hypothetical, possibly infinite worlds. Because especially when we're not talking about reality yeah. in a very you know material sense of, oh, it's the glass on the table, but also the reality of your experience of feeling mm -hmm. slightly uncomfortable in a social situation because of the yeah. exact combination of people and this, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, mm -hmm. that's a very specific human experience that we can get an approximate of if you wrote a lot of language, yes. if you wrote a, you know, yes. um, a long novel <laughs> of modernist fiction about exactly how you felt and you're trying to dial mm -hmm. it in. And then we're saying, okay, cool. Like we've connected that meaning space to this experience. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was thinking about something very similar quite a lot. And that's basically... I was trying to figure out what is this continuous space of meanings, right? right? This sort of embedding mathematical space mm -hmm. and what are its limits? Yeah. Because, you know, obviously something which is not written can't be encoded in this space, right? Something which can't be put into language cannot be triggered, like cannot mm -hmm. be placed in this space. But yet at the same time, you can get profound mystical experiences or religious experiences triggered just by words, which right. which don't really, like, they don't encode transcendence, right? Yeah. Saying a word transcendence is not, is not transcendental, right? No. It's, the, it's the right combination of, 
of words which trigger some process in you, which yeah. brings you to the place. And yeah, I'm sort of wondering how is this present in this space? You know, whether those are certain paths in yeah. that space or whether those are certain areas in that space or yeah, how is it encoded there? That's something I, I can't get my mind off. And I think, we, you know, right now, I mean, there, there's obviously audio too, but like right now, the main AI tools that the public's kind of having their mind blown by are language-based and visual-based. Mm -hmm. And in your talk, you gave an example of, you know, this cube of, uh, with a, a red, green, blue um, axis, like a three-dimensional mm -hmm. space, and how that lets you map out pretty much any color that we know of within that. And so you can think about, okay, there's, experience of eating an apple. I bite into an apple and I'm tasting the flavor and this is the human experience that I'm having. And then we have a shorthand for that, which is the word apple mm -hmm. or a drawing of an apple. Yeah. And we're now creating these two different things that let us explore that semantically with words or creating more visual representations, mm -hmm. which, you know, we could have an AI that somehow is able, I mean, we already have it. It's a camera, you know, that can just <laughs> visually capture yeah. the scene and all of that. But language is more complicated. But I'm wondering, do you think there's a way to free these models from either of those constraints? And they can, you know, probably in a way that wouldn't be human intelligible, but communicate meaning on a different level than than we can? Yeah, so this is a very interesting question. But I think that... Um, I'm not sure if it's the right question to ask in a okay. sense, because I was talking with, with with a girl the other day and she pointed out that the artificial intelligence, the Chinese character for artificial uh, is human labor intelligence, oh. which like when you when you unwrap it and really go into the origin of the word in English, artificial is also not natural, right? Made by human. And AI is sort of for me like a golem. Mm. It's we made it in our image. Right. So there there never was any attempt to sort of model intelligence per se or mm -hmm. what intelligence could be or what Correct. communication could be or anything like that. The golem we created, we created him in, in our image, you know, just like perfectly trying to mimic how we see the world and how we see the language and how we interact with the world. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm not even sure how we would sort of zoom out and try to reconceptualize this. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, like if instead of language, we started using any sort of communication, yeah. for example, animal communication, mm -hmm. you know, like you've got two entities communicating with each other and you train an AI trying to pick up on, on this or right. identifying meaningful patterns. But then you sort of run into a question like, will we be able to communicate with it in, in, in some sense? Well, I guess I'm curious because one of the things that I think is fascinating about an intelligence is how we define it. And we often mm -hmm. have a very uh, anthropocentric view where yeah. it should be someone that looks like a person and can talk and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. But if you think about nature, yeah. on one sense, nature's dumb, quote unquote. <laughs> like it's not yeah. trying to do anything per se. It's not developing a strategy. It's just mutating and then finding things that work and doing more of them. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the niches that life fills into, it comes mm -hmm. up with ingenious solutions, absolutely yeah. incredible complex ones. And I'm out of my depth here, but if you train an AI to play a game, 
or learn something, mm-hmm. isn't it a little bit more like it's trying a million, billion things and just finding the patterns that yeah. work? Whereas a human is kind of modeling based off of expertise or receiving mm. strategy. You know, I read the book on how to play chess. I yeah. didn't just play 40 quadrillion games of chess until the patterns emerged. Yeah. Well, but, you know, those books are there because someone before played those 100,000 games. Right. So it's like... We have we, a different distillation. Yeah, we know? are explicitly formulating these patterns mm-hmm. because we've got a very sophisticated way of organizing our knowledge right. and accessing it, right? That's yeah. like, that's what human brain is really good at. But that's exactly true that... Um, so the basic principle behind AI is that you need to have a problem which needs solving. Yeah. So if you could define intelligence as a problem mm. where you can define an optimizing function, like yeah. the better you do this, you know, in chess it's easy. The more games you win, the better you are at it. Right. But how do you define intelligence? You know, how, how do you ask a question which will then allow you to judge every of your action and mm. say this is more intelligent than the other one. Right. You know, because that's... Because it's a kind of vague metric. Exactly. That's what... Because machine learning is nothing else but solving a certain problem with a complex algorithm. You know, yeah. so for image generation, mm-hmm. uh, the problem is generate an image which is the most similar to the textual description provided by human. And it's making me think of the Gordian knot. Like if we had a Gordian knot and we designed an AI mm. and it's trying to figure out the most complex knot patterns to do do it, it's not going to think outside the box and go cut it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yeah. Now let me ask you another question. This is something that I've always been a little bit fascinated by, but we could think about communication in terms of just data size, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we took this, we're literally recording this conversation mm-hmm. and so the audio file is going to be, I don't know, like you know, 50 megabytes or whatever at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And if we transcribed it and saved it as a text file, it would be a lot smaller. Yeah. And so we could think about how much communication, what is our kind of bandwidth? Like how much communication can you and I exchange in a conversation Mm -hmm. using words and however we want to represent that? And then just hypothesizing entities, intelligences that are able to do that several orders of magnitude above us. You know, Mm -hmm. like I can say, have you seen this movie? And if you have, great, I can refer to it. If you haven't, I would have to pause and wait for you to go watch a two-hour movie and come back and go, ah, I get the reference now. Whereas if we're machines and we're able to have 50 gigabytes just flashing back and forth, it's like we're almost talking not just in, have you seen this film? But it's like, ah, here's this canon. Oh, have you seen this canon? Oh, what about this canon? And having this sort of dialogue. Mm. So I guess how do you think about those kind of um, dimensions of scale as we're exploring different forms of communication and relationships, the things that somewhat in many ways do transcend the limits that we've just grown our whole civilization around. Well, that's that's actually quite interesting because I'm not really sure that the computational power is really a problem here. Because yeah. if you, for example, look at the processing of, of video, which mm-hmm. is a huge amount of data, right? It's yeah. it's crazy bandwidth you need right. to... To, to process it, but the algorithms themselves, like it's it's quite hard to be able to like pinpoint an object for a machine and in like follow it. So yeah. seems like that the main task in any sort of information processing is always filtering. Yeah. You know, always finding the way to to shed everything which is unimportant and focus on what is important for solving the problem. Yeah. 
because, you know, machines, I don't think they really have reason to get into a meditative state. Like, mm. you know, we would maybe try and do to... What do you mean? Really? My computer goes to sleep all the time. <laughs> but I don't do anything for 15 minutes. It's totally trancing out. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Meditation is not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, like the computer goes into a, a yeah. resting state. But yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, this state of actually like opening up um, to all the visual body inputs or the vipassana kind of focusing on everything which is happening in the room outside and so on and focusing on all the sounds and that's that's sort of a mode of existing and associated with certain brain patterns and brain wave patterns and so on which we are able to achieve and in that case like you really increase the bandwidth and Mm -hmm. like you have a very different experience of of existing yeah But like, what is your optimization function there when you do it, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. How would you tell a computer to do this? And how would you tell it it's getting better at it? Mm. Because like in humans, we can like, we can measure it through brainwaves, right? Right. Or we can measure it. Good teacher will give you sort of a guidance on whether you're doing it right or not. But like all the Buddhist teaching, they're not really straightforward computer language sure. telling you, you know, whether your insight is, is valid or not. That's why, that's why these traditions are so focused on sort of teacher input, because it's something very own to human way of thinking, maybe. So if you can't formulate it in a simple enough way, you can't make computer do it yet. So Well, I guess so my understanding of, of consciousness, uh, you know, and obviously everyone's got their own interpretations is that it's it's like theory of mind, right? Mm-hmm. That we're having experience, and if we're just having raw experience and we're at that level, then we're kind of just stimulus and response. Mm-hmm. And then once we can create internally a model of, oh, I've got a theory of mind of that rabbit. I think it's going to mm-hmm. go to the left. I can outsmart it and grab yeah. it. And then also if I have a theory of mind of myself, mm-hmm. I can go, oh, why does Devin program <laughs> keep you know running into the blue screen of death? Mm-hmm. And for me, meditation is kind of trying to pull back mm-hmm. to almost that raw awareness, yeah. um, whereas there's other techniques that are trying to get into the theory of mind and mm-hmm. represent yeah. faulty programs through imaginal imaging and things like that. Yeah. And so do you think that if we take one of these programs that has this um, word embedding space mm-hmm. and then give it some introspection by a program that is, you know, constantly exploring and understanding that space that they're able to create those loops eventually. I mean, not where we're at now, mm. or am I am I off uh, up my own butt? No, no, no. I I know what you mean, and like probably probably everyone trying out GPT like try to you know get it into thinking about itself sure, and shutting itself yeah. down and 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 so on and so on. But I think there are a couple of steps which would be necessary to, to yeah. do. Like, for example, the constant learning. I think that's something which is absolutely crucial for mm-hmm. any sort of consciousness if we if we want to talk about this loaded concept. But uh, like the language models, they are not learning. Yeah. You know, that's sort of big misconception. They have iteration of training every mm-hmm. couple of months where they get new corpus of data. But what you get there, it's like one sitting static thing, you know, which is... It's a map. Exactly. It's a map. It's not like anything living we know, which is constantly changing. The map isn't constantly redefining its detail and updating as a road is built on its own. It's just a reflection. Exactly. It's like a snapshot in time. And I mean, for me, this just feels 
like that's not going in a direction of life of sentience yeah. of of this is this is just an index of complex information at this yeah. point but exactly if we did these steps like you know enable continuous learning continuous mm -hmm. retraining and so on yeah i i think that we can definitely get in a direction where things get very interesting so for example um they started using gpt4 mm -hmm. um for analyzing the older model gpt2 ah, yeah. because you know these models are too complex for us to understand sure. it's like a black box yeah. but the newer models uh, much more complex mathematically are able to explain wow. the functioning of the lower models wow. so there is some sort of strange feedback loop closing yeah. of you know like this evolutionary branch sort of starting being able to look at its ancestors and wow. and explain it in some in some way or give you some insight into their functioning if you think about that kind of nesting with complexity it makes us realize that what we kind of take to be ourselves or our ego or like primary personality mm. would therefore have to be one of the simpler models inside of us yep. and that when you access your holy guardian angel or your higher <laughs> self or something yeah. you really are just tapping into that model that is kind of the the chat GPT-4 to your chat GPT-2 <laughs> that's running in the background yeah. and is observing but you have to give the, the smaller model the things to do to understand what's mm -hmm. happening yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but I still think that, you know, the, the main problem with, with consciousness and sentience in these things would be if you were to create something which, you know, if your goal was to get to the hard AI, yeah. like, what are you trying actually to do? Sure. You know, if we could formulate that, we could probably get there because yeah. I, I believe it's, it's, it's a process yeah. and, you know, with sort of complex enough feedback loops and so on and so on, you could create some sort of entity to to operate with but we don't know what's our own sort of optimization function right. you know it's like a survival okay but mm -hmm. you know that's not enough right. i we have other desires and goals beyond those but exactly i think that's like way too simplistic sort of yeah. take take on that and yeah i think that's sort of the main the main question like if we are building these technologies to mirror ourselves mm -hmm. In order to do it perfectly, we actually need to understand ourselves perfectly, which we are nowhere near, right? So maybe rather using these technologies as a process of us getting to know ourselves right. in some sense. Because, you know, like this stirred a lot of conversations about what sentience is, which in the past years you saw it in a sci-fi and in movies and so on. But like now are people really talking about are yeah. these models sentient? and. Yeah. And I find it really interesting. You know, it makes us ask questions. Well, and I, and I think that's a really wonderful place to, to kind of put that of like, how do we use this as a mirror to understand ourselves better? And the first thing, and I, I just feel like it's, I saw so many New York Times op-eds that had this incredibly anthropocentric view of when is it going to be like me without <laughs> thinking about what me is or what other forms yeah. of intelligence are going on or even, you know, oh, it's just guessing what the next word is going to be in the mm. sentence. Motherfucker, how do you talk? <laughs> <laughs> how do you know what you're saying until you hear your sentence complete? Like, explain that to me yeah. first. But um, the, the thought that came to mind is human sexuality. Mm -hmm. It's such a core driver of our motivations, of civilization, of all of these things. Yeah. And if you remove it, mm -hmm. what would humanity even look like? If we all, you know, just 
went to some tube and put our finger in it and then a clone spits out someplace else, mm. it would totally reorganize everything. And what would we even do with our time? Would we care about yeah. <laughs> anything? Yeah. And if you imagine an intelligence that doesn't have those same basic biological mm-hmm. things that we've abstracted into yeah. poetry and art and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like yeah. What, it, what is it driving for? Yeah. Um, where do you see this all going? Whew, that's that's a good question. Um, so I think there is one strange thing happening with sort of these language models, and that's we are optimizing them where, you know, like in all these language models, you've got those little um, thumbs up, thumbs down, whether you like the answer or not. And in sort of like all these apps for personalized chatbots, you you give it a feedback, whether, right, you know, you yeah. like the answers, you don't like the answers. So we are basically training them to please us, yeah. which is which is completely mind-blowing for me. Yeah. You know, we are, we are creating this sort of serve to our needs, maybe our emotional needs, yeah. right? And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where this will be heading because you can see, you know, like, for example, I saw an, an app for an AI therapist, mm-hmm. which like, at first I saw it, I was like, okay, this is like end of the world. This is the worst thing I ever I ever thought of. Like they need to ban it immediately. But on the other hand, you know, when a person has anxiety and they can always have in a pocket, you know, the reminder to calm down, breathe right. and so on and so on. It's like, maybe it's not such a bad thing, right? It's like... Well, and I think the question of, of motive, right? Mm. Because you can imagine on one hand, you have a company that is like a text your therapist app. Mm. And on the other side is some human who is trying to respond to a bunch of their text-based clients. They're getting some percentage of this gig economy thing. And it's run by this company that's constantly trying to figure out how to like move towards an IPO. And so helping humans isn't the ultimate motive for that. Mm. It's totally just the product that they're trying to sell, the idea that they're helping humans. And if they can do a facsimile for cheaper than the real help, they're going to go with that yeah. ultimately. Whereas if you had an AI that's like, I am just trying to understand how <laughs> to help humans express emotions based on the modalities I've been trained, yeah. that could be way more effective. I mean, so yeah. much of therapy is just reflective and having a space to explore that. That's not your own ruminative thought loops. Yeah, I think so as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite curious to see, you know, whether this will go to a complete dystopia yeah. or, or whether we manage to sort of keep it productive. Well, let me ask you like a kind of multiple choice question and then we'll (laughs) we'll move towards our spell. But if we think about a couple of the main trajectories, right? Mm -hmm. There's one where it's the runaway AI, that it's still, it's like hyper-intelligent in a very niche channel, but it's kind of dumb overall. And Mm -hmm. that's those examples where, you know, you make the AI that's supposed to, you know, calculate postage or something and Mm -hmm. decides... That it can just eradicate humanity and get this job done <laughs> simpler. And so there's the kind of runaway model where it destroys mm-hmm. us. But if it doesn't destroy us, then I imagine that there's one where we sort of get left behind, where the AIs are talking to each other and evolving consciousness that mm-hmm. we can't understand. And so it's like we've created gods and we watch them kind of <laughs> <laughs> leave us behind. <laughs> Later losers, like we don't care about you. And then there's maybe a more transhuman one mm-hmm. where we're able to stay integrated with this and like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Chat GPT can go read that book for me and process it. And like right now, you know, I could ask it to give me a summary, but at some yeah. point there could be a way for me to recall that information. 
I have very fuzzy recall of the many, <laughs> many books I've read. It would be quite a different experience to suddenly just have that information, mm-hmm. you know, a mental search process away. Yeah. And then there's the one that I thought you brought up that's kind of interesting of this sort of, we become the gods and we have all of these hopefully benevolent things mm. that we've created to make our lives more comfortable, interesting, better, and we can mm. kind of keep them in that place and pursue yeah. our human experience. Which I've, door do you think so, we're, we're heading towards? <laughs> I think this also, to a large degree, depends on how much willpower we have, in a sense, because as each new technology, it's going to change our brains, right. right? The same way as writing completely destroyed our memory yeah. because we don't need to store all this information in, in the brain. The same way, like, artificial image generation can destroy our imagination, yeah. right? Because we won't need to be able to visualize things. We can just get them generated. Yeah. But at the same time, exactly as you were talking about all these benefits, like recalling books and so on and so on. So whether I think it depends whether we're going to be able to adjust the education system fast enough mm-hmm. for people to protect the parts of our brain we don't want to get erased yeah. by overuse of AI, which... As you see right now, with exposure to TikTok and stuff like that, we're not very good at that, you know, in protecting our sort of mental space. But in the best case scenario, I think we could really sort of enhance our brain functioning into very interesting places of being like, have enhanced creativity, enhanced recall of information um, and sort of a wider toolkit to get where we want to be. Absolutely. And I think without even going sci-fi at all, just today, if you thought about, okay, we already have artificial intelligence. It's in TikTok. It's called the algorithm. And that's (laughs) what recommends content Mm -hmm. based on TikTok's understanding of you and TikTok's motives. Mm. If we switched that around and said, okay, there's this, you know, giant content space of the internet. I wanted personal AI. Fuck it. I'll pay $500 a year for the (laughs) subscription if it's fine-tuned for my needs. Mm. I can tell it that I want it to find me enriching stuff that's going to help me do this. I want it to find stuff that's going to hold my attention for hours at a time so I'm not shrinking my attention span. I think that would be such a radical transformation of we've been putting... Uh, it's not even the cart before the horse. It's like we've been yoking ourselves to the cart. Yeah. And that's what we've allowed to happen. And flipping that around and having this be protective, having an AI that's saying, oh, hey, I noticed that your consumption patterns are leading you towards radicalization. You told me that you wanted me to warn you when this was happening. Why don't we course correct? Yeah, exactly. And I'm able to be tinkering with that, not worrying that somebody else is doing Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. It's like if we were able to seed the AI with intention, yeah. it's like if you if you take a at the power of your feed, you know, first thing you you do in the morning, you look at the rank, rectangle, right. you know, yeah. and you carry the rectangle everywhere yeah. with you and you scroll the rectangle. Imagine the rectangle was actually your magic tool, which yeah. could like sort of support your intention when, you know, you're trying to, I don't know get a certain job or yeah. get a certain creative project going, but you sort of like motivation from time to time. Like mm-hmm. if this was constantly bombarding you, reminding you why you actually want to get there, yeah. like it would be much easier to get there. Oh my God. But, if I like, so one, we can get rid of the rectangle and then now <laughs> I'm, it's distributed on my Google home system or yeah. whatever. So I have a more human way to like talk with it or we mm. can personalize it. And then instead of it giving me every notification, I can say, if it's not important, you handle it. Yeah. You know, oh, 
the dentist called. They want to move my appointment to Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. You have my permission. Move it around. <laughs> Just let me know. Like, yeah. hey, your dentist appointment moved. Yeah. Oh, somebody liked the photo on Instagram. I don't fucking care. Like, don't <laughs> tell me that. I don't need to know that. Yeah. Engage me in the important things and help me free up more of my space. I've, I've started ranting about this more and more. But like dating apps. Not that hard of a problem to mm. figure out, hey, what are people looking for and how are they compatible and how do we match them if we're not trying to extract money from them yeah. in the process? Like, hey, computer, I'm looking for friends this week. Oh, I'm going to find somebody else in your neighborhood that wants to go on dog walks. Oh, great. Cool. Let's check it out. Yeah. So we can't do that right now, unfortunately. <laughs> but what is a spell that the listeners can do that maybe combines some of your ideas about magic and this uh, really magical, astounding, mind-blowing technology that is a good place for people to start with just trying a little something. Hmm. I think as as we said the word to be relaxed yeah. and in the theme of this sort of um, workshop, retreat, retreat, uh, re yeah. retreat we have here, which is somehow all about dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually we actually started doing a little spell together, which is building like a communal dreaming diary. Mm -hmm. And um, there is quite a good evidence that uh, the way sort of the AI compresses the information is a similar way that brain compresses mm -hmm. images. So I would maybe invite listeners to try and generate some of the dream image from from the next night or from the previous night uh, with the AI yeah. and try to tweak it until the aesthetic and the feel of mm -hmm. the image actually feels like your own dream and sort of uh, maybe use it as a starting point for for recalling dreams. So this, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up and this is absolutely perfect because right before I came on this trip, I was inspired to go by a used bookstore and kind of see what books do I want to bring? Because I think that's <laughs> always a little bit of, you know, you load up your your music, and you never know what the mood's going to be, but sometimes mm. you suddenly get it right, and you're like, oh my God, this album's <laughs> blowing my mind on this train ride. And you thought that you were going to listen to the metal, and you never listen to the metal, or <laughs> you have a night where you're like, I am going to listen to the metal. And it's like <laughs> so cool to see what comes out. And so I went to the used bookstore, and I got this book from the 70s on creative dreaming, mm -hmm. and was reading it, and was like, oh, I really want to engage with this on the trip, because mm -hmm. when you travel, you kind of dream more, you're in different beds. And so I was exploring that. Mm -hmm. uh, my partner uh, is already a pretty avid dream journaler. So this was us engaging with that together. We show up and the first night, you <laughs> share this beautiful idea with everyone of, hey, let's have a collective dream journal and we can take our dreams and then visualize them through these AI things. And then uh, Carl Abrahamson just gave a presentation <laughs> on dreaming. And uh, we just had Vanessa Sinclair do a cut-up workshop. And all. And then I had a dream about cut-ups last night, which I think <laughs> you did too. too. Yeah. <laughs> and so all of this is just weaving together. But yeah, I would just say on top of what you said, like the beautiful thing about this moment is not only is there so much new stuff, but there's so many people that are excited to explain it to you. Mm. And that if you feel intimidated, I, I, I see people all the time where they're like, oh, ChatGPT, I heard of that. I haven't tried it. Mm. You can Google, how do I use ChatGPT? How do I use an image generator? And it will give you a list. It'll give you directions. It'll, you know, and this is a human that created. There's a YouTube video out there waiting for you. And just playing around with one of these things, you can create something that I think is meaningful to you because, hey, mm. this is this trippy picture I made because I had this <laughs> weird dream where my grandma pulled my teeth out with spaghetti oh. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it might be, you know. Hopefully something more beautiful than that. Mm. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kareen. <laughs> For more of Kareen's magic, 
visit mercurialminutes.substack.com where you can find our excellent writing on all of these cool intersections between technology and magic. Uh, Before AI image creators really blew up, Kareen was using them to create a uh, tarot deck based on all of the popular tarot art and the space uh, that existed between them. And there was just a lot of other really cool stuff about technology and magic uh, in Kareen's work in writing. And I highly, highly encourage you to subscribe and check out mercurialminutes.substack.com. And this podcast is a ritual Swedish series continues. We are now in the pseudo real time that is never the real time of me being actually in Sweden. Although as I'm talking right now, I am technically in Denmark. So whatever. But uh, we are going to venture forth with a couple of exciting uh, new interviews that we've got coming up with people that are going to be recorded live on this quest. And then we've got some really cool kind of travel log updates that we're publishing on the Patreon for you wonderful participants who have not only made this podcast possible, but are actually creating the connections that this journey is tracing constellations between. So thank you everyone for that magic. Visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual to hear more about this magical quest and to find all kinds of other wonderfully strange things at this intersection, this crossroads we inhabit between magic and technology, art, language, and meaning.